Amen. What beautiful music this morning. Worship and praise. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. That is in the Old Testament. You should probably turn to about a quarter into your Bible and you should find 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, something like that. If you hit Joshua or Judges, keep going a little further and you'll find 1 and 2 Samuel. Just a little fun Bible trivia before we start. Why are there 1st and 2nd Samuel? Why not just Samuel? Why are there 1st and 2nd Kings, not just Kings, so on and so forth? It had to do with the books were so long that the scrolls were so massive that they split them into two. So we're going to be at the end of the first one. This is 1st Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. Now, we are going to do just a dive into a brief little episode of King David's life. Um, This is not a series on King David. We're on a series on marriage, and today we're going to talk about marriage and the family, and today we're going to talk about beginning again, beginning again, meaning how can we pick up the pieces in our lives and marriages after crises, breaches of trust, and death. How do you pick up the pieces and move on? Well, we're going to look at David's life here today, one brief little episode this morning. Uh, One day in the future, should God allow, I will preach through the life of David. I want to do Abraham first, but I will preach through the life of David. But there's so much to learn out of his life. But we're going to look at this brief episode today. This is before David has become king. David is the general, um, actually general in exile at this point, of King Saul. He was King Saul's military leader, and David and his band of mighty men are going throughout the countryside fleeing King Saul and his forces because God at this point has anointed David to become king, and King Saul is going to try to stop that, and he is, of course, unsuccessful. But it happens when he is in the uh, Philistine country that he comes to a place called Ziklag. It says, Now when David and his men had come to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. And or they had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahom, Noam, and Jezreel, of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the people were bitter in their soul, each for his sons and daughters. It's always, (laughs) I'm sorry, I have to point this out. So the wives and the children have been taken captive, and the men are angry because their families are gone, but the text only says they're bitter because the kids are gone. Have y'all caught that? God has a sense of humor. I was like, (laughs) I love inspiration. All right. But anyway, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
This is our main verse for today. So you get the picture of what's going on here. Dave, David and his men are encamped in the city, and they go out on whatever business they are doing as soldiers, and while they are gone, the Amalekites rush in, and they burn the city to the ground, and they take their wives and their children captive. So when David comes home with his mighty men, he is there, and what has happened? All of their families are gone, and the men are irate. They're broken, but they're also irate that while they were out carrying out business with David, their families have been captured and taken, and now this city has been burned to the ground. So you read the text of what it says, as much as they were willing to sacrifice and die for David, these are soldiers, because this had happened, and David had allowed this to happen, at least from their vantage point, they talked of stoning him. Now, this for David, the leader, of course, his family is gone too, is what you would call a real pickle. A real problem. Because not only has a bad thing happened, the people that he is in relationship with are holding him responsible for this very bad thing. And he is now facing a situation where he has to make a decision and pick up the pieces and do something about this crisis that has entered into his life. Now, how does this apply to marriage and and the family. Well, again, we experience crises in our lives, families, marriages, so on and so forth. We experience breaches of trust and death. And typically, when all of these or any of these happen, it can lead to hurt. It can lead to pain. It can be, lead to finger pointing. It can lead to anger. It can lead to lots and lots of difficulty. And I want you to see that key verse in verse number six. Again, that, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let me read two more verses to you. Verse seven, and David said to Abiathar, the priest of son of Abimelech, Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, should I pursue after this band shall I overtake them he answered pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue so the main point that I want you to see is in the midst of crisis in the midst of a breach of trust between him and his men in the midst of loss perceived death at this point and destruction the whole city's been burned to the ground. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Well, let's talk this morning about problems and glean some application from this text. There are four kinds of problems that a person can experience in life. There are four kinds of problems that a person can experience in life. These are just major categories. First is this, is the simple problem. The simple problem. What is that? The simple problem is a problem that just concerns you. And a simple problem is this. It's what I'm doing or not doing. 
what I'm doing or not doing. And the answer to that, the solution is this, is decide on applied godly wisdom. You ask yourself, what am I doing or not doing? And then make a decision on applied godly wisdom. A straightforward, simple problem. It's a problem that comes to you and you realize this is a difficult problem. But you know what? There is wisdom that God has for this and you make a decision. That's the simple problem. Secondly is the difficult problem. The difficult problem is a little bit more complex than the simple problem because it has an extra layer, an extra layer, either in your life or perhaps it involves someone else. This is something that it boils down to. It's not just between you and your decisions, that there is an extra layer in there. Maybe there is a crisis. Maybe there is a relationship with another person that's out of your control. Well, what do you do with a difficult problem? Well, the first step solution is that, of course, it's assuming that you're already, each of these, you would apply each of these, you're already seeking to apply godly wisdom. Seek out trusted voices of godly wisdom. Um, there, listen, each of us have in our lives people that have proven themselves over time as godly people, not perfect people because there's only one, his name is Jesus, but have proven themselves as godly people over time that you can trust their judgment. Now, here's the thing. We can all be self-con artists because when we're angry at someone and we want advice from somebody else about who we're angry at, Sometimes in our own selfishness, we know exactly who we need to talk to, meaning the people who are going to agree with us. No, this is not talking about just seek out advice. This is seeking out godly advice. This is seeking out counsel from someone that you know will tell you the truth, even if it's difficult to hear. That is how you approach a difficult problem. Next is the complicated problem. The complicated problem is more than just an extra layer. This thing is multi-layered. It could involve multiple people. It could involve all kinds of situations. Well, the first step to this is to seek out expert or professional advice. Um, again, it's assuming you've already decided things on godly wisdom and you've sought out godly counsel and friends, but when something is complicated, we need to be humble enough, each of us, we need to be humble enough to seek out expert advice. Notice David called Abiathar and said, hey, listen, inquire of the Lord for me. David didn't just say, well, let's go gung-ho. He realized, wow, they want to stone me. My family is gone. Their families are gone. The city has burned to the ground. Does this sound like your week? Like, this is really bad. What does he do? He seeks out expert professional advice. In this case, it was the priest and said, hey, will you inquire of the Lord for me? Each of us need to be humble enough to be able to reach out to someone. By the way, I do this on a regular basis. I reach out to people that are trained and are able to give me answers. I encounter problems all the time I don't know the answers to. And I'm not ashamed and I am not slow to pick up the phone and say, and speak to an expert and say, hey, help me with this. Um, I, I, I've met my match in this, and I need 
counsel. This is a big one. Uh, The next one is the apocalyptic problem. The apocalyptic problem. This is when you're not actually sure what's even wrong. You just know it's bad. What do you do with the apocalyptic problem? Well, let's see the answer on the screen. Uh, There is no solution. This will kill you. Yeah. No, that's not the answer, of course, but... um, The answer is to lay the complete matter before the Lord. And also, this is what David did. This is an apocalyptic problem. The city's been burned down. The families are captured. He laid the complete matter before the Lord. Now, you could say, well, wait a second, Brother Matt. Shouldn't it start there even with the simple problems of like, hey, I need to find a parking place close at Walmart. I need to pray. Hey, I do that sometimes. Um, But listen. What I'm talking about is that when it's bad, I mean really bad, the only option you have is to lay the complete matter before the Lord. Maybe you have a family member that is making decisions that are incredibly destructive, and it is completely beyond your control to stop it. What do you do? You lay the complete matter before the Lord. Maybe you're grieving from the loss of a spouse or a child. That is an apocalyptic problem. That is awful. There's no fixing that until Jesus returns. What do you do? You lay the complete matter before the Lord and ask for his help. So these are the four kinds of problems that a person can experience in life. So let's talk a little bit more. If you are in a relationship with anyone, you are running the risk of being held hostage by their problems. If you're in a relationship with anyone, you're running the risk of being held hostage by their problems. This is true of David and his men, and it's certainly true of marriage. It's certainly true of family. We've been talking about two becoming one. When two become one, togetherness is binding. When two become one, togetherness is binding. In marriage, your life is bound to another person for life in some way shape or form you are bound to another you say well what if I leave them well you may leave them but in some ways even in that your life is still connected to that person so when two become one togetherness is binding what does this mean well their blessings become your blessings this is great right When you get married, when you come together as two becoming one, all that they have, all the blessings they bring to the table become your blessings. And all the blessings that you have, that you bring to the table, become their blessings. I remember when we got married, when we were exchanging vows in front of my dad, who was the officiant for our wedding, he says, um, and... Uh, Oh, my goodness. I do wedding vows all the time, and I just forgot them. (laughs) To you, I endow. What is Pastor Ricky, what is the line? Where you, with all my worldly goods, to you, I endow. That's it. Thank you. So, with all my worldly goods, to you, I endow. I remember telling my dad, because I didn't have anything when we got married. I said, you might as well just say, my truck And my clothes to you, I endow, because that's all I had. 
But anyway, their blessings become your blessings. Also, it's true that when you're in a relationship, when two become one, their burdens become your burdens. When your life is bound to another person, their burdens become your burdens. David's experience here is these men have been deeply wounded, and he's in relationship with them because they're in um, an army together. They are interconnected. Their burdens became his burden. His burden became their burdens. And also, their blunders become your blunders. This is just a fact of marriage and family and all of that. Their blessings are yours. Their burdens are yours. And also, their blunders are yours. We all know this. This is what it means to be in relationship. Of course, it's also true that your burdens are theirs. Your blessings are theirs, and your blunders are theirs as well. So what do we do, though? New beginnings. How do you pick up the pieces, though, when something really bad happens? Well, new beginnings are possible. New beginnings are possible. And picking up the pieces begins with you. First of all, when you encounter a crisis in your marriage or in your family, in significant relationships in your life, when you encounter a crisis, remind yourself you are in good company. You are in good company. Read the Gospels. Even Jesus had family trouble. You are in good company when you have trouble at home. Because many a good person before you has also experienced trouble, whether it be in marriage, whether it be among relationships in their family or relationships beyond their family. So remind yourself you are in good company. The enemy wants us to think this when bad things are happening in our life and marriage. Well, you know, you're the only person who's ever had this happen in their life before. Well, that's just not true. Also, the new beginning begins when I strengthen myself and God. I want you to look back at verse number six. Verse number six, it says this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This, this is the secret of what we're talking about today. Is David facing the problem, sought the Lord his God and found strength there. And also, be assured that God's blessing is possible. Be assured that God's blessing is possible. Another lie of the enemy is this. Well, you know what? It's just too far gone. Too much bad has happened. There's no hope for you going forward. No, just like David. David sought the Lord his God. He laid it all out before him. He sought the Lord his God. He spoke to the priest, and he said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. And what did God do? God answered. God answered. You know, when we think about blessing, we think about blessing as being devoid of trouble. And once our life gets troublesome, we think that, you know what, I'm now disqualified for blessing because I've so far beaten off of God's will, beaten off the path of God's will for my life. 
Before I read these two verses, I want to speak on that. When we think about God's will for our life, our marriage, our family, we think of it often as this straight line from here to here. But if you look at the lives of God's people in the Bible, the line does this. It goes every which way, and sometimes it goes backwards. It goes all over the place, and it eventually does get here. But the path is never a straight line. It is never true that you have disqualified yourself from achieving God's will for your life. Because God's will is always for each of us to move forward no matter where we are. I want you to consider these two verses, or two sections of verses. First, it's Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. A few years ago, we memorized this. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Like, yeah, that's a wonderful life, but it doesn't explain mine. Well, here's another one. Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, I want you to go back to the previous verse. See that first word? Blessed. This is the first time, because this is Psalm number 1, this word occurs in the Psalms. Right here. Blessed. You want to live the blessed life? What does Psalm 1 say? You make good decisions. Specifically, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Rather, delight in the law of the Lord. If you want a blessed life, you make good decisions. You make wise decisions. And you seek the Lord. And your life will be like a tree planted by streams of water amen amen and amen and that's what i preach to my children make good choices make good choices make wise choices seek to please the lord your god all those things that's what i want to do with my life but none of us is going to do that perfectly not even close we're going to fall so short from psalm 1 but what blesses me about this the next time this word blessed occurs in the psalms you want to talk about living the blessed life? It's Psalm 32. And I think it's no coincidence that the next time that word blessed occurs in all the Psalms is Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is way different from Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is make good choices if you want to be blessed. Psalm 32 is you haven't made good choices. And guess what? God still can bless you. Because he's ready to forgive you and restore you and give you a second chance and a third and a fourth. I, I love this. Notice it says, blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You know what the word iniquity means? Iniquity has the idea of built up consequences over time. It has an idea of a cloud over someone's head, like a rain cloud that has been built up with rain over and over and over again, and eventually it's going to break with thunder and then pour rain all over, whatever it's over. That's the idea of iniquity, that it's this thing just waiting, this buildup of 
all this junk you've done throughout your life and it's just hovering over your head and eventually you're like, man, the devil's going to come for his due and I'm going to have to pay. But God says, no, blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. God doesn't just forgive you. He says, you know what? I'm going to relieve the burden of iniquity on you too. That's so good, I can hardly stand it. Psalm 23, 6. I'm going to close with this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is something that you can take to the bank. You've heard me talk about this one before. Here's the problem. Even in my own heart, when I think about my life at times, my family at times, I look at this verse and I think, well, probably not anymore. And it's just not true. Goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life, period. It's a promise from God. Now, in a closing thought, and the most important one, that I'm going to mention today. I've been reading to you from the Old Testament. But we don't have an Old Testament faith. We have a New Testament faith. Of course, taking all the Old Testament into consideration. The cross of Jesus is the evidence that no matter where you are, what you've done, how bad your family situation is, no matter how complicated it is, the cross of Jesus is the evidence that you can begin again right there. This is the gospel. No matter how bad it's gotten, you bring the whole matter before the Lord. And you say, Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help them. Lord, forgive them. Lord, we are completely dependent on you doing something because we've made a mess. Now help us. You know the most common prayer? I pray, I've prayed this prayer more than any prayer in my life. Not now I lay me down to sleep. No, I've, pray, I've prayed that one too. But I'm talking about one prayer I've prayed more time than any time in my life. I prayed it at least three times yesterday. God help. That's it. God help. You say, well, I want to say Jesus help. Well, that's fine. Jesus help. God help. And he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And Lord, we thank you that goodness and mercy indeed will follow us all the days of our life. Lord, we have the tendency and temptation to fixate on the problem. Help us fixate on the solution. And that solution is you. The strength that is found in you. You, the Lord our God. You that on the cross paid for every single one of our sins. And that you, if we look to you even now, healing can begin in our life and our marriage and our family. Lord, prevent us from continuing to fixate on the other. Forgive us and prevent us from continuing to fixate even on ourselves. Fix our attention on the cross and your finished work and help us to draw strength from there. Lord, we love you and bless you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.